We're going to start with a reading from the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sesera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. And the, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Libidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zabulon. And I will draw out Sesera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. A reading from the first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden disruption will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. A reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a long journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent 
went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his, man said, his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Or to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So we were off last week, so we missed... Matthew 24, so we'll just do a quick recap before we go into that, but as usual, we're doing our Old Testament reading, uh, today it's from Judges, we also, so the way our readings are going, just so everybody knows, is uh, last week we would have read from Joshua chapter 24, the week before that was, um, I think it might have been in Joshua chapter 1, or maybe that was the end of Deuteronomy. I can't remember. But there's only one or two verses or readings, one or two readings per book. And so I think next week we're jumping to one of the prophetic, um, one of the prophetic, one of the, the uh, prophetic books next week for our Old Testament reading. So anyways, uh, we'll be looking at Judges, First Thessalonians, and Matthew. So... Um, we're actually not going to look at the, the direct judges passage. I just want to give everybody some quick, like hermeneutical guides. Uh, something I've really enjoyed doing, um, just because it kind of tickles your intellect a little bit, is as you're reading, just like point, like what is this entire book about, or what is the main theme. So. Do you guys remember what the main theme of the Old Testament is? One of the main themes. What's that? That is Jesus. That is, that is the main theme. Um, I've got it down here. 
Uh, it's about one of the main themes is about people. It's the people. It's about See, people, people stink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll say things on Wednesdays from the pulpit just to see if if anybody's uh, any of the elders are listening. But um, so let's turn real quick to uh, Judges. Let's look at uh, chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Uh, we won't read the whole thing. To uh, if you see on your notes, Judges one twenty-seven through chapter two, verse verse three. Um, so. I'm going to recap all of Joshua. Uh, Moses dies. Uh, Joshua comes in um, as as the Spirit of the Lord, or the Lord lays his hand on him, just as he was with Moses. They cross the Jordan. They come into the Promised Land, and they start expelling people, right? And there's tons of action scenes and different things. And so we get to the next book. Um, and very quickly, like Joshua is like a very like action-packed book. You know, there's wars, there's people fighting, things are happening. And then as time goes by, let's just start around verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 27. I'll just kind of call it the verses because I'm going to skip around. Um, 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages. Uh, verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. Uh, 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. 34, uh, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. They did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites uh, persisted in dwelling in Mount, so they didn't push them out. Um, you get to chapter 2 of the book of Judges. And let's start with, let's just read, I'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgad to Bochum, and he said, right, remember the angel of the Lord in Joshua, who was with them before um, they stormed Jericho? And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Oops, they, they just did. Um, you shall break down, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land, you shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods, gods shall be a snare to you. And their gods will be a snare to you. Pretty much takes over all of the book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and Chronicles. And it's all about because they had not driven out the inhabitants from the land. The idols and the other gods dwelled in the land, and they didn't do as the Lord said, as completely driving them out. And then they struggled with that for forever. And so. Um, one of the major themes of, of, of Joshua, as you're reading it, is that there's these people dwelling in the land and their idolatry and there's these different idols coming in. And then you get to the last, very last verse in Joshua. Oh, I'm sorry, in, in Judges. Uh, chapter 21, verse 25. Um, 
Anybody, uh, you can feel free to shout. What's the craziest thing that happens in, in Judges? There's like a million crazy things. What's the craziest one to you guys? Byron. Okay, uh, it wasn't dirt, but okay, there was a, there was a killing. Uh, there's also some pretty bad things that happen that the people of God do in Judges. Anybody want to recap any of them? Somebody gets cut into 12 pieces and shipped out. Uh, which one's that? Yeah, um, there's a lot of rape, there's a lot of killing. I think the last one... Uh, the ESV, I like the headings because they really tone it down. In chapter 21, the ESV heading is Wives Provided for the Tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> That's, they are stealing women. Um, they're not provi- <laughs> provided. Thanks, ESV commentators. So, you, this, is, this verse is paraphrased in several other persons, part, I'm sorry, portions of Judges, but the very last verse is of chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yes. Right? Uh, <laughs> man, that's, that sounds familiar. Uh, or it looks, seems familiar. So one of the things that I think the, the author is trying to convey to us is, like, we already had the law. We had the law twice. We had the law written on stone tablets. The Lord... Uh, gave them to Moses, he brought them down, right? We, we know what the law is. We know what is right and wrong. But there was nobody to enforce it. There was nobody that was going to hold us to it. There was no king that was going to rule over the people and ensure that the law was obeyed, right? Um, is anybody familiar with the speed cameras? Yeah. Uh, oops. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, a few years back they had speed cameras and it was a, and it was, you would get like a mark on your, uh, driver's license or whatever, or point or however they ruled it. And they ruled that unconstitutional by the Ohio constitution because who knows whether I was driving or not. And so it went away for a few years and then they came back and I've probably gotten, they've been around for, well, you might know like three years or something. Oh, uh, well, I've got like two or three of them since then, whenever they came back. Uh, and, but now it's a violation of the city ordinance, so it doesn't matter who's driving, so they'll send you a ticket anyways. But as far as I know, it doesn't ding your credit, and it's not enforceable. As far as I know, don't take my word for it. <laughs> Do your own research. And, and so, but there's, it's not really enforced. They'll send you a ticket, and... But it's, you can do whatever you want because the law's there. It is a violation of a city ordinance. Uh, you are breaking a law. You're speeding. But who's going to enforce it? Is that going to stop you? It uh, hasn't stopped me from getting two tickets. And so I need a king to rule over me <laughs> to enforce that law, right? If the law is there but there's no enforcement, we easily slip into well, it's either not that bad or I can get away with it or, or whatever, right? There's tons of different reasons we give as, as mankind to slip away from the law, whether we believe it's, it's right or wrong, and we make excuses. So the point is, 
that there were wise people in Israel who were going to the judges to get wisdom and get counsel and different things. But there was still no king to say, hey, we're not going to be a people going in this direction if uh, you can't steal women. We're going to enforce that. <laughs> we're going to stop that. There's going to be a punishment. There's going to be crime. Now, there's going to be you know, restitution made and things like that. And so that often reminds me of in the gospel, I think it's in, in Luke, uh, it's probably in at least Matthew and Luke, when um, Jesus gives a parable and, the, and the, the wicked people in the parable respond, we will not have this man rule over us. So one thing the book of Judges, since this is the only week we get to talk about Judges, is hopefully opening our eyes to as we read it, is that, like, um, like when we get to the, in Matthew, about the, um, the ESV says, does the ESV say slave or servant? Either way, slave, servant, doesn't matter. You have a master. Of, he's not releasing them from bondage. That's actually a reward, is that you stay with your master. And so we think in terms of, we would like to be autonomous and Maybe it's just an American mindset or something, I don't know, of we, we don't want a ruler, right? It's, you know, we're, America is built on freedom, autonomy. We're going to throw off our chains and, and be set free, right? But what we really need is, is a good master that will rule over us in kindness, in truth, in grace, uh, and in justice, not in injustice, but in justice. Just so you guys heard me right. <laughs> and so that's what should, we should open our eyes of like, has anybody ever heard like any, um, I hear this a lot if you talk to atheists, they'll be like, but look at all these crazy things that like happened. And they'll point to like judges. I'm like, do you even like know what that book's about? Like just read the book and it tells you like, don't be like these people. And so um, uh, people are terrible. When we don't have, uh, not just don't have the law, um, and we don't have a righteous ruler to rule over us, then we go into all sorts of wickedness. And so I just want to throw that out there for um, a point of study when you guys read through Judges on your own next time. Just kind of look for <coughs> those things and like what is the, because I think it often gets confusing unless you're like reading um, you know, like a lot every day and like, and you have the mindset of like there's 21 chapters. So that's going to take, you know, sometimes a few sittings to get through. And, but if you start looking for the major theme or like, what is this book trying to tell me or what's the Lord trying to say through this book? And you, it's easy to get bogged down into like, why did they like, why, why is he cutting up his concubine and shipping him out? Like, is that like, is that a foreshadowing of Jesus and the 12 apostles? And we're going to be, no, like it's not. It's, it's this guy's really wicked and he's like turned away from God. And, uh, and it's because he didn't drive out, um, because the uh, Israelites had not driven out, they've become um, accepted. They've accepted mediocrity in terms of, well, we'll go this far. It's like saying like, we'll go this far with the Lord. And we'll do these things. And sometimes they, they would lose the battles. Sometimes they would, but the command to drive them out never went away. So it's, it'd be like, 
you know, uh, us saying, you know, like how would a wife feel if, uh, you know, her, her husband committed adultery and he said, well, I really fought the battle and then, well, we lost, but whatever, I'm just going to give up and just keep committing adultery. <laughs> that probably wouldn't fly <laughs> in a marriage, right? You would have to like keep fighting and fighting and fighting until you're victorious and hopefully that's pretty quick in that situation. But, but does that make sense? How when the Lord calls us, is calling us to defeat the enemy, even in, in, in Joshua and in parts of Judges, like there are defeats, but the command never goes away to drive out those who are idol worshipers and driving out those idols from the land. Um, it doesn't change the command. So let's get into 1 Thessalonians. So this is um, a pretty... Does anybody actually, in name, at least in this room, uh, I doubt anyone's watching the video cast. Uh, if you are, you can comment and... On Vesh's. Oh, there is an elder on here. <laughs> Let's try to act like Christians to people. On Vesh, if you're listening, send us a comment. Um, does, any, does anybody in our church, at least here or listening, still at least in name, give any credence to pre-millennial dispensationalism? Why am I? Something you battle? Okay. Well, let's look at this. Because really, again, with this, I want to give like some... When we hear like the day of the Lord, that's not the term. And so we missed last week, which was chapter four or parts of chapter four. And so uh, chapter five, verses one and two says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Okay. Well, you'd have to read that in context and we will. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's talking about the day of the Lord. Well, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 13. Um, actually, we'll, uh, <clears throat> let's go to verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. Now this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we have, that we who are all alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will, for, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so that's a popular verse that um, every millennial position uses. And so it's just a, a matter of reading and seeing. One thing I like that um, John Piper said that about verse 16 is this is the loudest um, verse in the Bible. He will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. I don't think archangels are talking like this. I don't think they're coming quietly. Right? Uh, Do not be afraid is what they yell usually when they when they come. And I don't think they're like, Do not be afraid. I think they're yelling and they're scared. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, with the sound of a trumpet of God. Right? Um, so the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord seem to be 
equated in chapter four and chapter five. So I just wanna take a minute to go back. Whenever, we, under, whenever we, we read these things, we have a tendency, because that's how God built us, we could use it for good or bad, is to we start interpreting and putting our own uh, thoughts and understandings into it. And what the Lord's calling us to is just look at it biblically because his word is truth. And so I just wanna look and just give you guys a basis Again, we got like 30 minutes, so I'm just throwing stuff at you. Write it down, figure it out, go home and study it. Um, the day of the Lord in the Hebrew scriptures is, is used much differently. Um, but let's go back up to the first bullet point there on your outline. Um, we are talking about an eschatology, end times uh, time frame here. And what you mean by end times is, is, what I mean is the end of time, biblically, is from essentially... Uh, the last days in scripture is referring to from when the temple is destroyed until the last day. And those are the last days. And so uh, read that. It's in first or second Peter uh, talking all about like very soon events um, and things that are, are related to uh, the time being the new covenant. And so the first thing is he says, encourage one another don't be surprised and build one another up. And so whatever he's referring to, if it's, a, if it's an event, if it's a particular day, if it's, um, as we're going to look, the day of the Lord is in, in the Hebrew scriptures, refers to judgment mostly from other nations coming and attacking other nations. Uh, that the Lord's judgment is coming. It's a, it's a day of judgment. And so... Uh, I would just briefly say, yes, it does refer to the last day, the final judgment, but it also alludes to, um, contextually, to the Thessalonians, a day that is coming soon. And so, but if any part of your eschatology starts to get uh, pessimistic or fearful at all, you know you're going in the wrong direction. Not that your eschatology is always wrong. Those are two separate things but you know that you're not supposed to be moving towards fear, towards worry, or anything of the sort, right? You're called to be awake. You're called to be sober. You're called to be, in the last verse that we read, uh, encouraging one another and building one another up just as you are doing. If um, I like to uh, study eschatology. I think it's fascinating. Um, again, it tickles the intellect sometimes. And... But if any of that produces like fear or worry, um, you might want to consider just like taking a break. <laughs> you might not be studying the wrong things, but you're, you're surely interpreting it wrong. Um, and get some clarity, get some peace from the Lord, and, and surely also go back and study those things. And so when we look at the day of the Lord in the scriptures, let's go to uh, Isaiah 13, 9 through 11. That will just kind of be our... Maybe a primary one we look at. And hopefully this will just help everybody to just understand Scripture in the broadest sense. Um, and give you some more points to study. So, uh, in the ESV, like the, the, the commenters, the interpreters or whatever, translators... Gave us a heading. The ESV says the judgment on Babylon. So that'll give you a little bit of the context of what we're talking about. Um, 
chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord, right? Same terminology. Cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Oh, that's a positive message. <laughs> For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. And so, does anybody know where that's quoted by Christ? It's also, it's also in Joel. Matthew 24, um, Jesus says the same thing. He's, it's a, that's a darn near direct quote uh, from this. And so we didn't do Matthew 24 because we weren't here last week, but let's keep reading. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold. Wow and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. And then, let's see. Uh, where does it directly talk about the Medes? Verse 17. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. And so historically, this was written about 200 years before the Medes actually conquered Babylon, Right? Um, Isaiah comes with a prophetic judgment in a real way against Babylon, which is a real city, in a real place, in a real time, and he was just about 200 years early. So they had time to prepare, right? Um, God, as far as I can tell, um, is never giving warnings of judgment, and it's like, like the second, like the next second or the next moment. There's always time to prepare, um, which is when we get to Matthew, we'll make more sense. And so uh, go ahead, read Amos 5, uh, read Zephaniah. They all talk about the day of the Lord coming in judgment. In Isaiah, is particularly Babylon, which is a real city at the time. But if you look at like Revelation, there's judgment against Babylon in the coming of the Lord. But Babylon's not a city anymore in the first century. It's gone. It's prophetic. Uh, and it's talking about Jerusalem. And there's, uh, and that says that very clearly in, in, in Revelation um, of how to interpret Babylon as Jerusalem. And so in here, there's a real judgment coming on a real people, right? That's really to get pre prepared for. And so one thing we understand in Scripture is that there's always uh, a dual interpretation, right? There's real historical things that happen but they, just like in all or most of the Old Testament scriptures, they're pointing forward to a future event, right? And so in Matthew 24, when he's quoting this, he's talking about very clearly the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, right? So all of this is wrapped around the destruction of the temple. And so the day of the Lord coming is in Matthew 25 is wrapped up with the destruction of the temple. But in... Um, and even if you read, I think it's in, in Zephaniah, I can't remember which one, Zephaniah or Amos, uh, the day of the Lord is, is actually uh, when Christ comes and he's crucified and he makes an end to sin and he makes an atonement for it and he's coming in judgment. And so that day of the Lord isn't the same day of the Lord that's coming in here. 
But the day of the Lord is always coming in judgment, and the day of the Lord is always coming in redemption. And so different historical contexts, contexts relate to how the author is using it. Right? Does that make sense? And so when we get to First Thessalonians, to understand that is, uh, let's go back just to do some hermeneutical work and some contextual work. Um, <clears throat> let's go to chapter four. Um, verse, the end of verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another, right? So this is, as, this is a future event, a future coming of the Lord, uh, just like um, in chapter 5. Let's see, what verse is it? Uh, I guess I'm looking at verse... 10, uh, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So this is pointing to a time where Christ is coming and he's, uh, there's, the dead are rising, right? There's the resurrection, right? And so um, the resurrection of the dead happens first and then we, it doesn't say anything about the rest of the people on earth. He's not pointing out, he's not writing to worldly people. So he is saying we who are alive in Christ will be caught up with him in the air. It doesn't say anything about the other people, right? Uh, it doesn't indicate, you know, right in, in these verses. And so I think this is clearly pointing to the end of time when the Lord finally comes back in judgment, right? Um, because for a few reasons is because that's wrapped up with the resurrection of the dead. And I don't think that seems to be halfway between now and the end of time, or any time in between there, is, is a good reason. And so, um, regardless of eschatological position, uh, we're called to be encouraged. We're called to be ready, right? Uh, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Is it, he doesn't explain. I like that he doesn't explain. Because, is it, they don't have anything need written to them because they already know? Or is it because that, would, that wouldn't be profitable? Or is it for another reason? But uh, it doesn't say, right? Because, well, he does give a clue for in verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that they, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, right? Um, and so in these verses, like, how are we supposed to encourage one another? Let's look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatever our position is, it should be to encourage one another that there really is a day of the Lord coming. There, what do we recite in the Nicene Creed? There is a day coming that he will judge the world in righteousness right? And he is coming back. He is coming in judgment. He will judge the wicked. 
and we're not destined for wrath. We who are children of light live in the light, right? We put on love, faith, and hope in these verses, and we encourage one another in that because we're not destined to be where the world is, right? We're not destined to be with the world forever. We're destined to be with the Lord forever. And whether we're caught up now or caught up later or we die now or we die later, you neither know the day nor the time. (laughs) And so be encouraged, be built up that the Lord is coming. He is at hand and that, um, uh, and he calls us to be awake and to be sober. And that's how we should encourage one another. So, uh, you know, when we look at Matthew, let's go to, let's finish with Matthew 25. I promise all of these correlate somehow. And so we get to the parable of, unfortunately in our scripture readings, it's just, we don't, we can't read like a million verses. We can't read the whole chapter. We can't read the whole account of, that starts in uh, Matthew 21, you know, uh, to get the full context of what's going on, start in Matthew 21 and, and read to Matthew 28 of the, the whole week that he's in Jerusalem. And so when you get to verse 14, we just read in chapter 25, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Well, what, what's, what's, what is he talking about? What will be like a man going on a journey? Well, let's go back and just look in context. Chapter one, or verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Um, right, and then, so you gotta kinda know that in context. And so, He's referring to what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's referring to what the new covenant is like. He's referring to how we are to operate in God's kingdom. And the ten virgins is all about who's prepared and who's not prepared, right? Um, I think a lot of times we, when we read this, I've had that mistake. I've had this mistake a lot of times of reading that and jumping back to eschatology and like the coming of the Lord. But he's not talking about that, per se. He's saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so in the kingdom, there is, a com- there is one who's coming back, right? The parable is about a bridegroom that's coming, and he's coming back. And, but the point of it is, who's prepared? Who's diligent? Who's working? Who brought the, enough oil, right? And so the same thing applies to the parable of the talents. We got one with five who was diligent, who was faithful, um, that his master entrusted him to, and he produces 10. One that has two, who was faithful and diligent, produces two more, produces five. Then you have the one who didn't do anything but buried it out of fear, and the master calls him wicked and slothful. He was lazy, right? And so when we look at this, uh, we often think we have to understand that, yeah, that the king is coming, he's coming back. There is a day that he's coming in judgment. And we should hope for that. We should be encouraged, like we talked about in First Thessalonians. But our responsibility is to be faithful. Our responsibility is not to count our talents. You know, what I would have done, first off, if I was a guy with two, I'd be like, why'd this dude get five and I got two? Like, that's not fair. And then the master would say, life's not fair. Suck it up. And uh, stink it up, or some other word, uh, <laughs> right? Like, they're not evaluating each other. They're not saying, they're just faithful in what they have. They're just 
servants who are pleased to love their master. And one of the things that I love about this parable is, you know, after the master comes back and evaluates them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, enter into the joy of your master. And this is where we tie in judges of, often I would think like, you know, we don't think it far enough. The joy of your master from that point on is your master's back and you're still a servant and you serve him. And you just had all this monetary gain for him, right? My thought as having any sense of business would be like, well, I made this produce to make this other guy rich. When am I going to make my own money? When am I going to have my own business? When am I going to have my own servants? That's not the point of the parable. Like, that's a wicked thought. Those are, that's not how Jesus is, is uh, using this parable. Um, we're supposed to see that the joy, you're supposed to enter into the joy of a master, that service to him, they give everything back to him, right? And it's the one that buries it out of fear, knowing that he was uh, you know, gathering where he didn't scatter seed, and the Lord rebukes him and punishes him for he... Maybe the fear was right, right? He was, uh, the master seemed like he expected something in return. There was supposed to be fruit. There was supposed to be produce, interest, something, right? And, and what does he have to show for it? A dirty coin that he buried, right? Exactly the same as he left him, right? He wasn't prepared. He knew the master was coming, but he wasn't diligent. He wasn't faithful, he didn't know the master's heart enough to even say, well, I should put this in the bank and, and make some interest off of it. And so that fear paralyzed him from, from actually doing work in the kingdom, if that makes sense. And because we're talking again about what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven and what it will be like um, or what it is like. And... And so we're called to faithfulness. We're called to understand that our master rules over us and that should be our pleasure. We should, you know, be aware. And the warning is while we're alive of that we have this autonomous nature that wants to throw off all the rules and we want to decide what's good and evil and we want nobody to rule over us. And... Um, sometimes that comes out because we're fearful or something paralyzes us um, or that fear paralyzes us. But that's just showing like the, the wicked servant here who was slothful, it wasn't just because of fear. He didn't know the master's heart. He didn't want him to rule over him. He just got paralyzed, right? He got thrown out of the game, so to speak. And so... You know, take encouragement in, in 1 Thessalonians. It says, those who sleep, sleep at night. Uh, unless you're working third shift <laughs> or something. Uh, or you stay up too late. Um, or whatever. But uh, we're called to be children of the light. right? We're called to be diligent. We're called to be dominion takers. And all it takes is we always have like these grand schemes of like, we talked about building a Christian school 10 minutes before uh, we started today. And maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. But what we're called to be is faithful. Whoever's faithful in little will be faithful in much. Right? And it doesn't matter how much you have. You're just called to be faithful and be prepared 
and do your work in the kingdom, right? Be like the, the virgins that were ready. Be like the, the servants that had um, made interest or made produce on, on the master's uh, money, right? Engage in business until he comes back. Who knows when he'll come back? I surely don't. Uh, I won't be the guy that sits up here and tells you the date or the hour. If I did know, or I thought I knew, I would just take me down. <laughs> just get me out of here. Uh, uh, there are signs and different things, right, um, that Jesus tells us to be aware of. But what we're called to is faithfulness, faithful service in the master's court. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. So uh, let's pray and worship the Lord. Father, we pray that you would uh, enable us by your Holy Spirit to be faithful servants of you, that we would love your rule, we would love your commands, uh, we would love work in your kingdom, and that you would empower us to um, obey you, to love you, to grow in you, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.